Alex, where did it all begin? Well, um, it all began with Marion Delis, actually, one of uh, your previous contributors. Um, she, I went to a, um, it was a sort of um, youth church um, meeting and um, youth club sort of thing. Um, and she showed some of her work there and talked about photography. And um, at, at that time, I was thinking of becoming a helicopter pilot or something or an engineer or something like that, something kind of quite technical. And I was doing, you know, um, maths and physics and things. And um, But I saw that photograph of the old man stood in the um, doorway. And um, I thought that was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And um, it kind of completely um, changed my life, really, because um, um, I just thought photography... I didn't realise you could do such a thing uh, with photography and, and be... Um, as sort of creative and um, and it being such a you know a wonderful thing, so I started there. You know, I was a lecture attendant uh, um, in my summer holidays from school in Aberystwyth, and I saved up my money and I bought myself a an Olympus OM one, and yeah, and uh, then I went to um, Plymouth College of Art um, and studied film and photography there. So. What was that period like studying? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, you said you have uh, physics and maths and things, so kind of they kind of work with cameras, really, and uh, light and understanding apertures mm. and um, stuff like that. So how did you find um, um, studying those things in in Plymouth? Um, what sort of... I mean, were you drawn to one aspect or the other? Were you drawn to film camera work or were you drawn to the still photography work? Um, definitely stills photography work at the time, um, which is odd because then, uh, you know, I've spent the last 25 years being a cameraman. But um, at the time, yeah, definitely stills photography. And I saw a Josef Kaudelka exhibition. And uh, even before I entered the room, you know, um, looking at it through the um, doorway, I, I was kind of inspired instantly. And I thought, right, this is the sort of work I want to do, you know, photo, being a photojournalist. And um, at the time, Plymouth College of Art were training um, commercial photographers uh, to go to London to do magazine work and, and assistance to the um, commercial um, film world. So it was kind of, I found myself on the wrong course, really. So I was doing, you know, pictures of perfume bottles where really I wanted to be back home in the miners' strike, which was happening at the time in, in South Wales. And um, so it was really frustrating. And... Um, you know, I did take the odd weekend off to come back, but um, it was frowned upon there because they weren't interested at all in, in that sort of aspect of photography. So, yeah, I went on to, um, after leaving college, then um, came back to Aberystwyth for a bit. But the revolutions in Eastern Europe started um, and um, I missed the fall of the Berlin Wall, but uh, went instead um, to, well, first of all, to Vienna to stay with a friend of mine from school, Ruth Jane. She was an au pair out there. And then when things started kicking off in Prague, I caught the train up to... Um, and, and as I arrived in Wenceslas Square with my rucksack on the back, it was the students in the street chanting and there were, you know, um, riot police. It was just fantastic, you know, the atmosphere was amazing right from the word go. And they'd closed the airport so nobody could get in. Um, so I found myself, um, you know, being one of the very few foreigners in Prague at that, right at the beginning of the revolution. And um, I was at the um, Magic Lantern Theatre when Václav Havel um, declared he was going to stand as an op- as opposition to the um, communist regime. So it was all kind of quite exciting, really. 
Were you on assignment then, or were you just winging it? I was winging it, um, as I have done for most of my life, really. <laughs> uh, made a career out of it, I think. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, really enjoyed it. That was 89, 1990. Went to, you know... Um, Poland and Hungary and um, um, travelled around there quite a bit. 1991 in Kurdistan, uh, um, taking photographs for the um, British Red Cross. They wanted to document how the aid sort of left London, um, Stansted Airport, and then arrived at the sharp end, you know, up in the mountains of Kurdistan. Because um, during the, obviously, first Gulf War, the coalition forces turned back and then Saddam Hussein turned on the Kurds and they were, you know, they had to flee. So they fled into Turkey and into Iranian um, Kurdistan and that's where I was. And I was there trying to help out as well because there was like convoys of aid coming over from Turkey and they needed sorting out. So I kind of ended up being a sort of bit of an aid worker as well, which I quite enjoyed. But on my um, return, I, um, we, my, the translator and I and the driver, we drove to the airport. And in Iran, you, um, you have something like five different sort of police forces. You've got military police, um, you've got the civilian police, you've got the religious police and, um, you know, um, and others. And we got stopped in the roadblock. There was um, some sort of confusion. They'd never seen a Westerner before. You know, I had a bag full of cameras and a tape recorder. So I was arrested for being a spy with these, um, there was sort of a military police then taken to a military compound and um, I was um, then um, tried as a spy on crimes against the state and um, sentenced to death by hanging. So, um, but luckily, this was myself and the um, translator, but the driver got away and he managed to raise the alarm. So within a couple of days, uh, the head of the Red Crescent I got Mr. Adi, he flew up from Tehran and um, walked into my cell and said, um, don't worry, I've got $2,000 in my pocket, I'll get you out of here. So I had to be out by midnight that day because my visa ran out at midnight, so that was, would complicate things. Um, so I came out on a Hungarian cargo plane flying to Budapest in the end. And then when I got back to London, then they said, um, ah, yeah, do you know what? I mean, we had this problem last week with a Belgian photographer. So I think it was kind of a money-making scam, really. Not that, we, that I realised this at the time, you know. Yeah, so that was quite an eventful thing. But, you know, it, it was kind of part and parcel of being a photojournalist, I think, you know. It's when the, that's what I signed up for, in a way, you know. So, um, and then after that, I went to um, Romania, more or less straight away. And then spring of 92, I went to Bosnia with another photographer, Pete Telfer. And we sort of, um, we were with the Croatian army in Croatia and northern Bosnia. So, um, and then after that... Um, I well, were these... Assi- I mean, obviously the Red Cross was a specific... A job, as a, yeah. a job. Yeah. Um, were you selling these pictures on then? I mean, the pre- on the previous um, uh, revolutions you were witnessing, were you selling your pictures on to uh, agencies or to newspapers? Yeah, or? yeah, both, oh, really, okay. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but funny enough, the um, even the stuff with um, Prague, you know, I mean, I was kind of quite proud of the stuff I did there, but did there, but... The pictures I sold were, um, I got one sort of silhouette of a couple kissing by the bridge in um, Prague. And that, that sold, you know, really well, whereas my pictures of us as half haven't sold. <laughs> because there were no photographs to go in travel articles and things like that, that, that were, because the East was opening up. They were desperate for photographs of, you know, Prague, contemporary ones. Yeah. 
So I had some nice shots of, you know, trams and things like that. That's all really well. And the thing of like people chanting in the streets or anything, you know, unfortunately. So it kind of um, failed a little bit there. But, you know, some of them sold. And um, I was kind of quite proud of the work I did out there, really. And I, I'm really kind of terrible at marketing myself as well. I should have, you know, pushed it a bit more. But I'm, you know, you're kind of on to the next assignment, really, you know. So, so uh, it must have been one hell of a buzz then. Yes, I think that's what I enjoyed about it and, and still do, you know. Um, I've got, I still do conflicts. I've done, I've been to the West Bank in, and Israel twice this year so far already. I've then been to Afghanistan twice. I was in um, Helmand province in the Sangin Valley and up on the Pakistan-Afghan border in 2011 with the American Special Forces. And two years ago, um, September, I was in Kabul doing a documentary for S4C. So I've got a hostile environment qualification, which is what you have to have to get insurance to go to these places. So I get the odd call to go to, um, you know, these countries. So, and I really enjoy it as well. It is a nice buzz, I must say. Yeah. Do you think the camera isolates you from what's going on around you or does it help in any way? Um, I think you're, you're right. It does, when you do bring the camera up to your eye, it does sort of filter out um, what you see in a kind of strange sort of way. Mm. But I also enjoy the um, friendships that you make and the sort of, you know, I don't, yeah, getting to know people and understanding conflicts and also trying to help in the, you know, in my own way, really. You know, I, was, I can't, when I was doing stuff in, the revolutions in Eastern Europe and in um, Kurdistan and Bosnia, I thought, you know, I could, you know, change the world with a photograph. You know, you're sort of young and kind of naive, but you kind of, as you get older, you kind of understand that it's, um, you're part of, of maybe a campaign or something, or now you're a very small cog in a, in a big machine. But no, I think, you know, if there are injustices like there are in the West Bank, I do try and cover those and, and, um, and publicise them. The reason why I was in um, the West Bank um, in April was uh, we were doing four films for FIFA out there, um, FIFA football, and one of them um, was about the um, Palestinian women's football team, which was kind of um, a fantastic thing. The, the um, spoke to the captain um, of the team, and she amazing woman um, and she was saying how the football sort of gets the girls out of the houses out of the homes and you know they don't wear the hijab or anything so they kind of gives them confidence and self-esteem and and now the people who have come in up through the football team ranks are now sort of getting really good jobs in the government and in aid agencies and really fulfilling, uh, fulfilling their potential as people, you know, sort of, um, it just gives them that extra confidence. When you were working, when you'd left Plymouth and you, were, and you were going on your travels and you were going to these conflict areas, I mean, presumably you didn't have any minders or people to look after yeah. you. I do these days, though, you know, it was, it was really funny because you, as a cameraman, you kind of get much better, you know, looked, you know, get looked after much better. Um, you know, I was in um, Cote d'Ivoire about two years ago um, doing something for the UN and they actually gave me a bodyguard, a personal bodyguard. Okay, but yeah. there were no such things when you were in your younger days working no. as a, a pure photojournalist. No, not, not at all. No, no, you just went there, you know, and it's basically... Uh, you know, Looking you for trouble. Out. Yeah, yeah, find out where the shooting <laughs> is and then drive there, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy thing you do when you're young, really. How did, you, how did you cope? I mean, that's quite stressful, really. But how did you cope with all that? Um, I don't know. Well, maybe I didn't cope with it. I don't know. Maybe I'd be a completely different person if I hadn't gone. I think, you know, you either 
can do it or you don't really. I think it's it's something that in your mindset really that you kind of write, you know, keep yourself together and and persevere. And I think it's because I've had, you know, experience of it before, you know, when we were in Afghanistan in Kabul two years ago, the director that we had, and obviously you should say this really, but he lost the plot a little bit, you know, because he hadn't been into a, in, a, in a conflict before. He lied and said that he had been, um, but he hadn't. And then so it was up to myself and the contributor then to um, to get him through, really. You know? And I don't know if we did a good job or not, I don't know. But it's, you know, it's stressful environments. You don't know how you're going to cope until you're actually in one, really. And um, and because I think because I, I built up to it, you know, you know, with stuff in Eastern Europe and then Kurdistan, and then Bosnia. I think you know, it's sort of you know your own limitations. And I think you know, I don't go. I've got two kids now as well, so I don't really go looking for trouble anymore. But I think I'm I'm fairly confident that I can cope with um, you know. Um, situations where you know conflicts are so how were you dealing with people uh what was was the trick with dealing with people when you were in that sort of situation were you Uh, using specific things because i find humor and talking to people is a great thing but when you don't have that communication going on it gets a bit difficult yeah i am it does you know every situation is different but i think you still need to try and communicate international sign languages sort of thing you know and, and, and eye contact and all eye contact that. and yeah. just you know talking to them you know some you know and then they'll talk back to you and you know it's, it's, it's strange in that sort of situation where sometimes you might be reliant on these soldiers to keep you alive or something you know it's still you need to get that communication going definitely it's a, some sort of empathy with them and um, i think yeah, you have to do that. You have to be kind of quite outgoing person, really. <laughs> I think it was probably too outgoing. But and humour also helps, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. When people are smiling, it's a lot easier. It is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you're working as a photojournalist, having a great time going to all these amazing places, selling your work, and then you stop. Yeah. Um, what caused the stop? I think it it was after I came back from Bosnia, really, and um, what had things happened in Bosnia? Well, it was, you know, it was very. Just think that it's kind of on your door, on your doorstep, really, and to think that the atrocities that went on there, both myself and Pete Alpha, I was with. We didn't go back to photography. We we kind of moved on. I became a cameraman then. I sort of turned my back on photography. I I didn't take a photograph um, for about thirteen years. Until um, I took some snaps of the um, kids as they were growing up and things, they had a little digital camera. But um, my Nikon F3s and what the drives were bookends on the um, shelf, you know, and, and that's where they are to this day. So, yeah, I was reviewing an exhibition in the Tate in Liverpool about the history of the um, photograph and the written word and how um, the photograph started off illustrating articles and they were quite small. <laughs> and to, you know, now, you know, f- photographs can be the main story, you know, with um, captions as, as the written part of it. And then I was introduced um, on, in the items, Ali Jenkins, as a photographer, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, I haven't actually taken a photograph in 13 years. I really should do something about this. And um, I decided to buy um, a Hasselblad X-Pan 2, but not use it. I, I liked the, f- the format. Was, um, uh, it appealed to me. Mm. And if you go to, went to the... They've stopped making them now, but if you went to the Hasselblad website, it was landscape photographs of the Alps or, you yeah. know, the Antarctic or something. But um, I knew I could use it in a, kind of as a photojournalist sort of tool. 
So yeah, for the last 10 years or so, it's been with me on, you know, all my phone assignments, whether it's been used or not is another thing. But yeah, 2005, 2006 to... 2011, I spent a lot of time in Africa, you know, Madagascar, Zambia, um, Malawi, um, Ethiopia, uh, Morocco, all over Western Africa, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, um, oh, you know, all the countries really. And it's been with me, it's been my con- constant companion. And, you know, when you stick it on, that is kind of a bit of a, oh, people go, oh, right, well, that's nice, you know, what, what is that? Or, or some people, I've had it around my neck and people have come up to me and said, you know, has my expand too, which is, you know, and I go, ah, right, you know, so it's suddenly, you know, there's a link there. And I was on um, coming out of a diner in New York with um, Katrina Emma Davis and Delaney Owes a couple of years ago, and there was a guy there with a camera, and I started talking to him, and he said, ah, expand too. And then that opened up a new, new world. Were, you, if you go around the corner, it's a great place to take a shot, and, you know. Right, okay, yeah. So it's, it's kind of an um, icebreaker as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. And do you still do you shoot in black and white or colour or do you have do you have a preference? Well, you know, I um, I started out just shooting in black and white until um, I went to Afghanistan in 2011, mainly because I didn't have any film. And um, <laughs> when I got the call, you know, can you go like tomorrow? Um, and um, I was in Heathrow and in Boots, and I just bought all the colour film that they had there, and I was like, well, you know. Colourful better than the thing. I was like, really disappointed. I was not, was not going to make this amazing piece of you know black and white work in Afghanistan. I'm really glad I did because the colours out there were kind of muted. This kind of like moon dust type stuff that flies around, kind of you know mutes everything into sort of um, like a haze. And um, I think you get a real sense of being there with the colour stuff. And sometimes you know the. Um, we were, I was with um, some Afghan policemen um, for a few days and they really liked sort of sticking bits of flowers in their helmets and stuff like that. They're really kind of, you know, out there type stuff. And it was um, lovely, you know, and so I took photographs of them. And, um, and again, having a camera with me, I was filming them, but having a stills camera um, also was kind of a great icebreaker as well, you know. Uh, um, I mean, we get a sort of a very filtered um, view, I guess. How did you find the people and the the country well i mean i think one one thing that struck me about afghanistan it, it was um walking through the villages in the um sangin valley and um and up in the mountains um it's one of the if not the poorest country i've ever been to poverty is just one of, and that's the, the underlying pro- problem, really, because, um, you know, a lot of the men, will, you know, the Taliban will pay them $100 a month or something if you would come up, if you come and fight with us. Whereas, you know, we're pouring billions of dollars into arming the British and the coalition forces out there. And for instance, when I was with the Americans, you know, we came under um, sniper fire from a hill. And um, so um, we just called in an A-10 and... And they just sort of you know, blasted the hill. You know, I don't know whether we got them or not. I don't know, but and I'm sure we didn't because they, you know, they were quite adept of knowing, you know, the tactics of the Americans. And, you know, what, where they were going to go and what they were going to do before the Americans did. But you know, that airstrike would have cost something like um, probably thirty, forty thousand dollars. Whereas if they'd kind of, you know, built a school or something or a classroom with that money it would have changed you know the whole thing so we we it was absolutely no way you could see right from the day one that this uh, anything was going to be resolved through um conflict and i don't think anything 
really does get resolved through conflict. You know, I think it's, you know, just look at the peace negotiations in um, Northern Ireland. It's, it's sitting around the table, really, and getting two sides talking. And, you know, Afghanistan is an extreme example of how not to conduct a war, really. So, mm. you, you know, when you are in the middle of it and see it for yourself, it's a, it's a different, it's, it's completely different to, you know, watching it on the telly and, yeah. um, and reading about it. It's a really interesting because there was a conversation, actually. I was uh, in the car, driving down to Cardiff, and um, there was a um, conversation on Five Live about five photographs that have recently mm. been taken uh, in Baton Rouge, Yes. And they are extraordinary photographs. There are two in particular that stand in my mind is the the girl standing in front of the stormtroopers yeah. waiting to be handcuffed. And there's another guy with his eyes and he's just being pressed into the floor. The power of that individual image. Is there any individual image that stands out in your mind that you've seen that um, maybe another photographer has taken that really s- summed up a situation completely? You do get the iconic photographs, don't you, um, from every conflict, I yeah. think. <laughs> the recent ones of the young boy on the beach in um, yes. Turkey, you know. Yeah. But that, I, I thought that would change people's attitudes, and it did for a very small um, amount of time. And, um, you know, I think photography like that does still play a massive role in the way people perceive situations and um, conflicts. Even now, in the, sort of the world of social media and you know, television reporting, uh, one photograph can still unite people and show, sum up a conflict or sum up a situation. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I can't think of one of <laughs> my head. Oh, sorry. I should have done my um, <laughs> um, research. In this day and age, uh, photographs are ten a penny um, and uh, everybody is a photographer and lots of kids go to universities to study to be photojournalists. Mm-hmm. What would... Do you think that's the right way to go for kids who want to study photography? Do you know what? I asked that question to David Bailey when he came and did a talk in um, Plymouth when I was a student. Do you, you know, do you think I should be here or should I, do you think I should be out taking pictures? And uh, he was just as confused um, as I am now, really, because he just said, well, I just do what you like, really. <laughs> I said, yeah, OK, fine. I'm not quite like it in college, so I'll do this for a bit. So, uh, I don't know, it is, a, it is a way of finding your feet. When I was at um, Plymouth, um, we had a fantastic history of art lecture, um, Graham, and he was sort of... I think I learned more about being a photographer from him than I than any of the other lectures um, I had. You know, I can't even remember their names, but I remember his lectures. Um, they really stand out in my mind, and and the way that he taught about taught us about you know composition from using, you know, Renaissance paintings and yes. stuff. And you know, we, we we all know about it, but he actually you know made the whole thing real and and taught us about sort of you know things like the Bauhaus and um, you know early twentieth century photography. I think that sort of expanded my mind more than than anything. So, so I, 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 so I think that aspect of it, yes, yeah, certainly you should go to college, or, or maybe you know you should just get out and then do it because, it is practice that you know, makes it in the end, isn't it? I think anyway. But um, no, you've got to have the resolve, you know, to do it. But uh, uh, did your has your style changed in any way, or did your style change in any way when you were a photographer? Yes, my my early black and white stuff, I think were. Of a certain kind, and I think when I came back to photography, then you know, after the thirteen-year gap, I think it is much more mature style. You know, I think it is kind of, I am thinking about it a bit more, using sort of the 
landscape format of the Hasselblad X-Men 2. You know, you can work with it, you know, you, uh, in, a, in a much better sort of way than using the traditional 35mm format. And I really love taking photographs with it, you know. And then I bought a Hasselblad 6x6 um, about a year and a half ago to go to Patagonia. Now I'm really getting into that. The recent assignments, I've just taken that with me and um, really enjoyed, you know, do, doing stuff with that, yeah. But I mean, my most of my work, I mean, I, I, you know, we've spoken about photography, but um, you got to remember my daytime job, yes. which is being a cameraman, really. And um, I could go to half, do half a dozen foreign assignments and I, and I do about, um, you know, between a dozen and maybe 18, 20 foreign assignments a year. I can do half a dozen without taking a photograph. So mainly because your client is paying you rather a lot of money to, you know, to get you to a China or whatever, then if he's looking at you, then why are you taking those pictures? Why aren't you filming for the programme that you're supposed to be being paid but to has be the, But has the still work influenced the way you shoot with... I mean, I know it's a different skill and there's different things involved, but has it influenced the way you Oh, work? definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you're, coming from a stills background is a huge advantage if you when you go into doing camera work. The cameras I use now, um, I've got a Sony F5, I use prime lenses. You know, I use a 15, 25, 35, 15, 85 prime lenses as my main thing. And I've got a couple of zoom lenses as well, but um, everything is now shot on a 35mm chip. So the image is what you would have seen through a 35mm, you know, stills camera. Um, And, you know, people are using 7Ds and 5Ds as, um, you know, movie cameras these days anyway. Yeah, no, it's but I was kind of one jump ahead of the other camera cameramen because of my photography background, I think, which kind of gives you you just have to have a certain advantage, you know, in any sort of profession really. And then obviously everybody caught up pretty quick, but then you use the same sort of um, composition skills to do f- um, film work now with the sort of um, widescreen kind of format anyway, uh, as you do with my. Um, expand you know so um it kind of they, they complement each other you know so let's jump ahead then uh Aled. Well, you know when it comes to retire Aled, and you don't oh. and you're not you're not being a film uh, a film cameraman anymore will stills take over your life again do you think do you know i enjoy doing both and i think probably stills will become more part of my life uh, i hope it will anyway because um, and I'd, I'd like to do some, you know, documentaries as well. Because um, you know, I think I'm a documentary kind of filmmaker, photographer. I think, yeah. um, and I enjoy both. You know, yeah. I know you've exhibited, but uh, another exhibition of your work surely is on the cards somewhere, Aled. Um, I'd, I'd love to do one. Um, yeah, I'd like to like to do something. And I, I'd like to get my, um, you know, myself motivated to organise something because um, I think in the last 10 years with the um, X-Pan, and I, you know, I don't like to go back and dwell on the older stuff. I, you know, I'm, that is a, a part of my life that I've moved on from. So I think I look at my photographs and, and they, they kind of start now in about 2006. And um, so we've done 10 years now. That's so. pretty harsh though, isn't it? Uh, not to look back at the stuff you were doing when you were much younger. Yeah, some of the sort of, uh, well, they're not nice from a historical point of view, maybe, but they don't do anything for me anymore. And I also think that I like the photographs I've just taken, you know, 
and uh, anything over than 10 years old I think oh, great you're fine brilliant and then some of them have been in exhibitions and um, and I think it's time to move on really so um, I'm moving on and I've just done um, two weeks in Sydney on a commercial for MYS Airlines and um, the films arrived back uh, day before yesterday and now I'm kind of looking at those thinking oh yeah I quite like one or two of these you know, I might get these printed so that's that's what is exciting me uh, at the moment and I think that was that's what the thrill that I get out of photography is that photograph that you're taking, you know, that you've just taken or you're about to take. Yeah. So do you speak to Marion? Let's go full circle. Ah well, um, and have you just do you discuss? Have you discussed your work that you've done with Marion at all? Do you know I I see her occasionally at the Ice Desert. We should really um, uh, get together and have a bit of a chat. But uh, no, I keep, keep an eye on her. You know her book on um, on essentially yeah. is fantastic. I love. I was I was there filming, funnily enough, oh, right. last September for Austrian television. Didn't take any pictures, um, <laughs> but you know I met the people that she'd photographed. Yeah, so I keep an eye on her and, and see what she's up to. And yeah, she's still doing fantastic work, which is it, great. It's funny that, though, that sort of mentoring aspect of um, uh, the work that we do yeah. uh, and passing stuff on. Do you mentor anybody? Um, yeah, um, quite furiously. There's um, a couple of kids um, in the one, live around the corner. One's just graduated from um, Manchester University and then another one lives in Bristol. Uh, at the moment, and um, they pop around and ask advice and stuff. They they went they've been over to um, Turkey to do um, a project about the you know immigrants and them coming over and and so they're kind of trying to follow them from to from Turkey to the UK. They were asking bits of advice and and I you know pointed them in directions of a couple of websites that might be interested in their photographs. So um, yeah, and it's a, it's a nice feeling you know because yeah. um, um, I'd love to be there myself. I'd love to go with them, but you know it's nice to be able to. Lend a hand whether they take my advice or not. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, whether it's relevant, uh, I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's, as you say, it's good to pass the knowledge on. You'd, you'd been through your course. Are you By your default, you said that the person that had the greatest influence on you was um, the man who taught you art history. And you were going to Vienna and you were going to explore this world that was happening and all the things that were kicking off mm. at that time. I don't think, I have my doubts whether young people would, are young people still doing that sort of thing? Are they being, are they being, oh, not trained, but are they being taught about these things? Um, is it something you can teach or is it something that's in your blood and you need to go? Um, yeah, I think it, you have to have um resolve and um you know face in yourself that you can do it because going on a foreign assignment and it's a bit like you know whether it was a photography foreign assignment in the old days or um you know a documentary that i you know, shooting in the you know maybe you know i'm going to china next week now to shoot a doc out there it's it's a one big problem solving exercise really because it's the odds of you getting anything are completely stacked up against you right from the word go before you even get on the plane you know you need a visa you need to be able to be, you know, obviously calm in situations where other people may not be. Mm -hmm. But also you just need to have that foresight and also you need to be able to see where, you know, where you're going, where you, where you want to be at the end of it as well. So really need to think it out properly and I think you know maybe perhaps on some of the assignments I've done I've not really had that the experience maybe in the early days of of thinking you know where am I going to end up you know how am I going to get back even you know but um, I think yeah you need to be 
prepared to be flexible, but also you need to be prepared. Single-minded. And single-minded, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, blinkered, almost. Yes, and, yeah, because you're on your, as a photographer, you're on your own, mm. you know. And I think that's what got me a little bit at the end, because there was no... You couldn't phone up someone and say, I need a helicopter, you know. I need a helicopter to get me out of here right now. You can't do that as a photographer, but when you're a film crew, you can do that because you're insured, you know. Every, every foreign assignment I do, you know, if there's anything goes wrong... There's, there's a way out. There's um, you know, they, everybody does a risk assessment, and you know, in that risk assessment, if anything goes wrong, they, they pull you out. When I was in um, Afghan um, film with them, um, I was with Tiger Aspect, which is a London company doing a doc for the BBC. Yeah, every day you check in about five times a day, but you know, every day if there was, you go out on patrol or something, and then you'd make sure there was, if anything did go wrong, there would be someone on the other side of the phone. Sorting out the mess, you know, <laughs> which is great, and that's the beauty of being a television cameraman. Really, you're part of a team, yeah. which is insured, but also that that team um, back and base they've got money as well, you know, to you know make it happen. You know, they can sign a check or you know send a hire a helicopter with a credit card, yeah. whereas you can't do that as a photographer. Yeah, so yeah. that that is a big difference, really. Yeah. Are there are there kind of any real standout moments? Um, from your time as a as a stills photographer, that really stick in your mind. That they they were. Uh, I mean, obviously the when you were jailed and uh, <laughs> it's a bit difficult to top that one. But are there sort of standout moments, sort of uh, people to people moments that you actually thought, no, that's why I'm doing the job. Ah, uh, do you know I just to isolate one of them because it is. I was lucky enough to be a photojournalist in a time where there was a lot happening in the world. There are dozens, really, you know, because I I, I loved my job very much. And um, I'm very much a kind of, I love sort of um, finding out what's over the next tail if I'm going for a walk or, you know, or what's around the next corner. And yeah, constantly. It could be like a shopkeeper that you're buying cigarettes for, you know, to have on so you can give them to the soldiers that you're travelling with, you know, so they kind of get that banter or could be stopping by a roadside for some food or just helping refugees onto your, you know, sticking them in the back of the car and getting them to the next um, town so they can... You know, there's, it's, every day is kind of full of experiences and um, that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Really. So there must be a book somewhere. There must oh, be a book. well, you know, yeah. Well, even the last 10 years as a cameraman, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, do, you keep, do you keep a diary? No, I don't. I, I'm trying, you know, my ex pound is my diary, really, you know. When I was kind of looking for photographs um, for you boys today, I could see, oh, oh that was after 2010, you know. It was sort of, um, you know, they're all there, but they're in the date-wise, you know. Or maybe there's a call sheet somewhere on the computer to say that, you know, I went to, um, I've done something like eight or nine trips to um, Venice, which is one of my favourite cities, uh, working. So, um, you know, I've got a nice body of work, about Venice, so you know it's it's. But I wouldn't be able to tell you what picture was taken when, you know, unless I look at metadata on the, um, on the on the on the disc. Yeah, that's another issue, of course, is keeping stuff. I guess, uh, you must have reams of uh, of uh, negatives. Oh uh, yeah, well yeah, boxes, absolute boxes full of it. You know, um, it does take over a little bit between the sort of 
photography equipment and then the television camera equipment with tracks and cranes and lights and stands and everything, you know. It's a lot simpler with a still camera. It is a lot simpler, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. But um, no, and the funny thing is to go back to, you know, I went to Plymouth College of Art to be a commercial photographer and then becoming a photojournalist and then a documentary filmmaker. Um, now back sort of doing commercials and um, some, something I really enjoy doing, you know. I've just, uh, as I mentioned, been to Sydney to shoot a commercial for Emirates and I spend a lot of time in, mostly in Dubai in the winter um, film because of the weather filming commercials out there. Um, and I've got another one coming up now in September in Copenhagen and New York. So, you know, I think as I get older... Maybe when you, when you when you cross your um, you know and they can't you know and if you're fifty yeah. um, that you kind of think oh do you know what I quite like um, an easier not easier life but sort of it just changes really I'm still running around you know yeah. and um, quite often take the stars camera with me but I'm still running around like a mad fool but um, yeah. it's a it's a different life really now and um, if somebody gave you the opportunity Aled go away for a month with your ex pan we want you to go there to mm. shoot. Because we've seen your stuff, we want you to do a, a shoot for us. Uh, uh, but uh, and you were allowed to go anywhere in the world. Where would you return to, or where would you go? Oh, do you know? I think I'd go back to Patagonia. You know, I, I did three trips there in a year, with, uh, last year and the year before, um, over a period of a year, and um, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and I was in Bolivia a couple of years ago. Um, so South America, I think. I think I just go through South America. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it. So yeah, I'm lucky enough to to do um, between sort of I don't know um, a dozen and maybe twenty foreign assignments a year with um, between the commercials and the documentaries. So you get a little, you know, sometimes you fly in for three or four days, say to um, Berlin or somewhere to to, uh, to do something, do an interview. Recently, I was in San Francisco for a couple of days, and I think, oh yeah, I'd like to go back there. So it's it's a ni- nice way of kind of just doing a little recce, and then, so when I do eventually give give it all up, I think right, I know exactly where I'm going. But um, no, definitely South America was uh, hot my uh, top of my list. I think I love Patagonia because do you know I spend over six months of the year being a foreigner in a foreign land. When I went to Patagonia, I felt at home because I could speak the, the language. You know, you, walking down the street, I could have a conversation in Welsh with people. Um, people just turn to you and automatically presume you speak Welsh. So you know, and so you, you're having a conversation back with them. But um, and I found them really kind of friendly and open. And but also, I just felt at home there. I could quite easily live there. And 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 it's an extraordinary feeling because I'm always struggling with language or food or you know culture and stuff. But you know, I'm a minister's son from West Wales. So I went to chapel there and, you know, opened the hymn book and it was like being back home, you know, it was just uh, as a young Come boy. On. Yeah. So, um, and even the people kind of reminded me of um, the people back in um, in West Wales as well. So it was a wonderful experience and um, I think, uh, yeah, I'd go back there. Lots of stills people are now actually doing video as part of their as part of their thing. Mm. They do it for uh, media whales. Media whales have to shoot video mm. as well as do stills. How do you see that all working and panning out? Do you, do you, can, uh, can you see... Um, uh, yeah, well, things have changed a lot since i become a cameraman. Mm. Um, you know, I bought my first television camera in 2001 
Um, and I spent £100,000 on, you know, the camera, the lenses and the monitors and everything. And, you know, I had to put my house up as collateral for it. And my house wasn't even worth half that. Well, I was worth about three quarters that maybe at the time. So it was kind of a difficult, you know, thing to do. You know, not everybody, it was kind of a bit of a closed shop, really, in a privileged place because of that, because nobody else could do this job. You know, you had to be hired because you had the equipment. Mm. Whereas these days, you know, you can do, uh, make a documentary. They, they shot a series of House, didn't they, in America, on a 5D just to prove a point. Yeah. Um, so anyone can pick up a stills camera and flick the, flick the sort of you know, 4K video on these days yes. and make a documentary. So how does that, you know, so that kind of opens it up to everybody, really. So, yeah, there, you know, competition um, out there, for myself, is kind of quite um, stiff at the moment, you know. But, you know, a lot of television programs do cost a lot of money to make. So they, they like to look at people who have got a bit of a track record, who've done it before, and who have um, maybe worked in Africa or worked in China. And, you know, so they got a bit of experience. So they might, I might be at the moment a little bit ahead of the game, but... You know, people are catching up quite quickly, actually. You know, I mean, that camera that sat in, over in the corner over there, then my television camera. You know, in the old days, you could get sort of like seven, six, seven years out of a hundred grand camera. Well, now, okay, the, the, that price, the price of that, you know, it's probably about 25 grand sitting there. But in, in about two years' time, that'll be completely obsolete. So you know, I have to keep reinvesting in my camera equipment and then there are people coming up behind me as well. So it's sort of, yeah, you know, it's it's getting more interesting. But um, you know, I'm still managing well, to make a living, luckily. Yeah, but the paradox is that you you're, you're still using when you take your Hasselblad out. It's film. It's yeah. where what, I know. What, what is the what is the joy in that then? What is well, the, the 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 thing that ticks the box in your head? What makes you you tingle yeah. when you use that camera. Well, you know, I'm using the latest technology when it comes to um, 4K video filmmaking um, equipment. But there is, something, there is something fantastic about going back to film, you know, and then to, to actually, you know, use that those chemicals and, and the light falling on light-sensitive material to create an image. And, you know, it's just harking back to the old life, I suppose, and it's, it's still holding on to that. So no, and it's it's um, and I'm one of the few people I don't know anyone else actually uh, who uses film still. I mean, I remember being in a, in an airport um, putting everything through those X-ray machines, and there was about ten of them in a row. A roll of film sort of um, came out of one of the bags, bounced along the floor, and went down about four carousels to where my sound man was, and he picked it up and he said. There's only one person in this room that this belongs to, and that's, you know, you, Alan, because, you know, I don't know anyone else who would have a film canister. Kind of, well, in the old days, obviously, there'd be loads in there. So, but, um, no, it's, there's something um, really nice about using film and, um, and loading the film up, um, especially on the 6x6 camera, and uh, hoping that everything goes all right. Photography in Wales, I, I suppose photography really is sort of universal, um, which is its great joy. Um, but uh, we, as Photon, are here in Wales. We try to reflect and talk to people who are photographers or have been photographers or live and work in Wales. What's your kind of take on what's happening in Wales photographically? I think at the moment is a very exciting time to be a photographer in Wales. There's so much appreciation for it. And um, 
you know, when I was still a photographer, you really had to go to London to get any sort of recognition, really. Yeah, so I I'll mean, work for the camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, these days, um, there's so much going on. With the Eye Festival, Fine Beginning and um, Photon, I think, um, you know, raising the profile of photography and the work that they've done in the last um, few years has, has been fantastic. You know, it's done much more for um, to, to raise the profile of photography than um, photo galleries done in 40 years. So it's, um, it's wonderful to be, you know, a photographer in Wales at the moment because there's just um, so much going on. Do you think we need a permanent sort of photographic gallery in Wales or is that pie in the sky? Oh, it would be wonderful to get a, you know, um, a photo gallery type thing that reflects photography in Wales and Welsh photography specifically. You know, I recently saw a tweet from Photo Gallery how they were kind of um, up in the northeast of England checking out new talent in the northeast of England, which is a fantastic thing for them. But I don't think they've ever checked out new talent in the northeast of Wales. So um, it's, it's rather sad that they keep sort of, um, you know, looking to Scandinavian or Lithuanian photographers or, or they've published books by Italian photographers where... You know, Welsh photography for the gallery is something that they kind of seem to, you know, take, definitely take second place and um, they need to, um, you know, prioritise it much more because I think, you know, with um, all the other st- stuff that's going on, they're kind of being left behind, really. And the photographers that I speak to don't really have anything much to do with the gallery, whereas, you know, with so much going on, it's such a shame, really. You, you now work as a, as a film camera and you go to... Um conflict areas um, all over the world. Do you meet young photographers, still photographers? Or do you get the chance to talk to young photographers that are working those areas or do you not meet them at all? Um, not really, no. I, I tend to, I don't do frontline stuff um, anymore. I'm usually going in to do a specific project um, um, maybe you know raising a profile of an NGO or something like. I know I'd be hired in to do that specific job, so I don't really meet other photographers or cameramen. Most of my work um, in the last few years has just been sort of documentaries, maybe you know, um, and and I, I do um, travel shows and stuff like that. So I don't really do the sort of the hard hard stuff anymore. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, it was another interesting thing I, I didn't pick up it on that time when I think your uh, um, last assignment you went out with you two of you working together as, as stills photographers how did you find that buddy-buddy approach to, to working an area or working a story well myself and Pete yeah um, yeah I mean some of our photographs look a little similar but um, no I think it's it, it was kind of safety in numbers really you know, <laughs> I'll go if you go and you know <laughs> <laughs> it was that really that um, inspired you know inspired us, but um, usually you work alone. Anyway. Yeah, and it is I, a it is a lonely profession. Yeah, and that's what kind of you know the, the main difference between working as a photographer and working as a cameraman. Yeah, you've got it's, your sound guy anyway. You've got your sound guy, you've got yeah. a producer and a director, and then you know there's four of you in the car. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a series for SOC at the moment uh, with Dylan Yarwes and oh, yes. Catherine M S Davis, yeah. where we go around the world. We just done we just done a documentary about the Spanish Civil War, and we were in. Um, Israel recently, um, and we're going to China and Morocco, um, Trinidad, and we've got all these um, places lined yeah, up for yeah. the next um, couple of months. 
so um and there's three of us you know in the in the car and it, it's it's there it can be like you know two weeks on the road and it's great you know it's fantastic it's a really um enjoyable assignment whereas if you were if i was a photographer doing the same job i'd be on my own again and you know, I went around Poland for a month in, you know, after the wall went down to see how things had changed there. And I didn't speak to anyone hardly at all because nobody spoke English. And like, it kind of gets to you after a while, I think, you know. No, I love being, um, I love the work I did as a photographer. And I also enjoy the um, banter as a cameraman. Because, you know, these days the foreign assignments I do, are, um, because I've been doing it uh, for such a long time, I tend to do with people I've known for a very long time. So we're old friends. You know, I went to um, Sydney with a producer that I've known for the last um, five or six years and done a lot of work together. So we just get on with it, you know, and, and, and do it. And then and the sound men I work with, um, I work with the same sort of four or five guys and we know each other really well. And it's all pre-planned, of course. All pre-planned, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's not, where can I find the next still shot, is it really? It's, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's all laid out beforehand you know exactly what you can do yeah. how you're going to go about it yeah and also if you're working on a documentary that's not being financed it's being privately financed and you know the producer and the director have gone through the sort of last three years raising money for it yeah. you haven't had to do any of that and then they've arranged it all the hotels and you know and who are we going to meet and everything and then I then you know I come in at the end and going oh hey here I am and off we go to the airport you know and then we film it so you know, you can see the torment in their faces and, you know, the joy when everything's over. And then I just say, yeah, yeah, I've got, you know, going off to, you know, uh, Bulgaria next week to do something about skiing out there. Or whatever, you know, not that I've done anything Bulgarian skiing, but it's sort of, you just move on to the next assignment. So it's um, a bit of a cop-out, really, you know. Um, it's it's very, much, much, much more enjoyable than trying to, um, you know, set it up all, all on your own, yeah, you know. Yeah.